let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast TC, we're halfway through Spy Week, presented by the International Spy Museum. It's a week's worth of podcast and newsletter content about secret agents and covert goings-on right here in D.C. It's the 10th anniversary of the hit FX show, The Americans, which is all about the spies living amongst us in D.C. But despite being set in D.C., this show was actually filmed in Brooklyn. Its creators, Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields, painstakingly recreated 1980s-era D.C. to make the show look and feel authentic. They're here to tell us how they did it. Today is Wednesday, May 10th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what D.C. is talking about. folks who don't know, The Americans follows two Russian undercover agents who work in D.C. in 1981. Why did you place them in D.C. and not somewhere else? You know, a lot of the uh, inspiration for the show was to try to do it during the Reagan era. It was about both getting the sort of tension of that era when the president was saying the evil empire, the evil empire, and then thinking, where would they really want to go to spy? They'd want to go to the epicenter. And maybe for some of us, that's not D.C., but we figured for the uh, Soviet KGB, that would be D.C. Yeah, there's like this palpable tension where people are always talking about Reagan as, as like the backdrop of this show. And so even in casual conversation, like there is palpable D.C. in the 80s energy as the backdrop to the Americans. That's like very clear. I think that's right. You know, it's it's also a funny thing. I mean, having... I'm sorry to say, been alive and cognizant in both eras. There really was something different back then in terms of the locality of things. I mean, you didn't have the the feeling that it was such an international world and that you could be talking to anyone anytime on the internet in, in a millisecond. It really sort of felt like it mattered more where you were. Yeah. Where did the idea for the show come from in general? There was, in 2010, a group of Russian illegal spies, illegals just like Philip and Elizabeth, were arrested by the FBI. And it was a big news story, and and everybody was talking about it. And I got a call from some producers who said, do you think there's a show in this? And my kind of immediate reaction was, not really. I mean, who cares about Russia spying in the United States in 2010? But then I decided to put it back in the Cold War, and suddenly it it kind of got interesting. But it was really very much a, you know, kind of a pulled out of the headlines thing. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the show in the pilot is when the FBI agent's wife is like, oh, the mailman is a pimp and the school bus driver is this. Like, this idea that, like, oh, come off it. People are not just, you know, hiding in plain sight as these spies. But on the show, that's exactly what's happening. It's so funny how I I can totally see why that would be something of interest to folks. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And the piece of it you're pointing to is, It was serious, and we were kind of scared back then, but there's something intrinsically funny about the hiding among us. You know, are there 
Are there aliens hiding among us? I mean, are there spies? What is it? It's one of the few true things that's both real and completely ridiculous at the same time. And and on a deeper level, I think we had a lot of fun with it because we're all really hiding in plain sight. We all have an inner life that only we can know. And there's this funny dichotomy that we're all individuals in this world, utterly unique and utterly alone in our own heads. And yet, because of that, we're all completely alike because we're all going through that experience. And for Philip and Elizabeth, they're just going through a, a, a much more magnified, literalized version of that. Yeah, not to get too much on the plot of the show because I don't want to give anything away, but how they're both you know, these spies. And so they're hiding in plain sight in the ways that we all kind of are, but also in an additional way, but also in their own heads from each other. Like they both want different things like romantically from each other, physically from each other. And they're kind of hiding that within the confines of their own like fake marriage, you know, um, that, it, yeah, the way that we are all kind of always hiding both from the world around us and also from each other and then from ourselves, that really comes through like the, the spy within a spy. It sounds so horrible when you listen to you, you guys describing it. It sounds horrible. It's really like it's kind of fun, but it's also there's something depressing about it. Well, again, you know, as Philip and Elizabeth's greatest fear was being exposed, right? And because they'd be caught and, you know, put in jail. But really, on some level, who of us doesn't have something inside that we're afraid of being exposed? It's just a very universal thing. Even, even even towards those that we love and trust the most. It's so hard. Sometimes we can't expose ourselves fully even to ourselves because, because of that. Yeah, you definitely have the feeling from watching the show of like, well, gee, has the real spy been me all along? <laughs> like the audience, the viewer? Well, one of the funny things we began to realize is as the show progresses and their relationship progresses in many ways, they have an unconventionally deeply honest relationship with one another. And they hide very little because in many ways, professionally, they can't hide things from one another as spies. They need to know because they're partners. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow! There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. 
The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So I know that the show was shot in Brooklyn, specifically Gowanus. What was it about Gowanus that made you feel like you could kind of make it seem like 1980s D.C.? I think the tail was probably wagging the dog there from the beginning. (laughs) You know, Gowanus was the location where the show was going to be shot for a variety of reasons. The main look wasn't the primary one. However, it was a really good location in terms of 80s DC because so much of Gowanus at that point had been undeveloped. So there were rows of brownstones and apartments that actually looked like they had been left over from, from the 80s. And there were, you know, places with train tracks that, that looked not so different, even if the trains didn't look quite right. And also it was a place that had a lot of what we would call spy locations, which is to say boring spots that were only vaguely cinematic, despite our director's constant desires to make things seem more cinematic than than what they would be in the real spying world. So we could use those. And then finally, we did send some units to DC at different points to shoot pieces of certain scenes and also many plates and backgrounds which were dropped in with green screen. And part of the trick there that we struggled with was we never wanted it to feel like we were pushing that too hard. We always wanted it to feel kind of authentic, that you were just with the characters in those places. And so we tried not to feature the big usual DC landmarks too often, too centrally. But of course, if you go to DC, those landmarks are everywhere. So it was an interesting and fun needle to thread. I'll add one level of, or one piece of detail to that too, which is we got a lot of responses from people about you know creating DC in Brooklyn. And I think almost all the ones from people in DC were very positive. Oh, this really looked like our home city. But people in Brooklyn were like, I know that corner. That's Brooklyn. You're not fooling me. (laughs) It's really true, Joe. I'll tell you one other thing that was very interesting about the process now that we talk about it, which is those times that we would go to D.C. and shoot plates and lay them into the backgrounds of scenes in order to kind of create that subtle feeling that you were there. Joel, can you you just explain what a plate is? I think that'll be helpful. Uh, Well, a plate is you know, something that you eat a meal on <laughs> and preferably a very exotic meal with your friend, Joe. Secondary meaning? The meaning in film is when you lay in a digital effect, you'll shoot what the background will be. And then that, that is called the plate. And then that will get laid into the image with the actors in action in the foreground. And the plate will live in the background. One hopes seamlessly and three-dimensionally so that it all feels like one shot and sometimes you'll put in some digital birds flying through to make it really feel three-dimensional and connected. That's so cool. So to get the plates correct for the Americans, you all had researchers who were researching like what DC looked like in the 80s so that you could authentically recreate that. That's exactly right. We'd shoot the scene, you know, wherever we'd shot it in New York, we'd then send the crew to DC to shoot the plate. But then all of the landmarks had to be reconstructed with digital effects to take them back to what they would have looked like back in the 80s. So buildings that were new had to be removed. Buildings that were old had to be replaced. 
I mean, sometimes it's sort of obvious, right? You see a building that's clearly just a more modern design, and you're like, that could not have been there. But other times it'd be a big surprise. It'd be something that looked like it's been there 100 years, and it turns out it was a, something built in the 90s. They would often go and find old photographs and sometimes in advance of filming decide that it would be too hard to, to replicate and recreate or other times that this was just the right spot. So it was a lot of fun. Oh my God, DC is so weird like that too, where you're like, certainly this building has been here since the 50s because it's such a piece of crap. And they're like, oh no, actually it was just recently built. <laughs> Classic DC. <laughs> is there a moment in the show that you feel like is peak 80s DC? I mean, it's a very tough question because, you know, the process Joel's describing, he's making it sound fun, but it's kind of a tough technical process. And you're more worried about not falling on your face than on getting something that would, for example, make you think, oh, we got that so 80s. You really just are trying hard not to have it seem like, you know, 2015. The whole goal of the show was just to feel like you were watching something that was authentic as possible. So you didn't want, as Joe said, any of those moments that leap out and grab you. When I think about it, though, I think some of the some of the fun moments might be, you know, finding, for example, the actual pizza parlor that they would have had takeout from and, you know, make sure that we used the right brand. Or what was that? Um, Junri. There was Junri karate commercial. And, you know, that, that's just a that's just a regional thing, you know, f- uh, from that time. When you take Junri self-defense. Say, nobody bothers me. Nobody bothers me. June Ri was a chain of, was it karate or taekwondo? I can't remember, but some martial arts studio. And he had them all over DC and I think outside and in the suburbs and maybe other areas too. And he just had this great commercial where he just tried to, you don't really anymore see, I mean, I guess there's Tiger Shulman, but you don't see, you wouldn't see a martial arts commercial on TV anymore. That was kind of an artifact of smaller markets and local TV and and who knows what else. Yeah, I feel like in the 80s, everybody knew somebody who was obsessed with martial arts in the 80s. It was like a, it's like a very specific 80s thing. <laughs> it's funny. And I think those were the fun things for us because although we didn't each grow up in D.C., we each grew up in the 80s and we remember different regional things from our own childhoods. So it was fun to find those things for that place. So you've mentioned that people who are watching the show in Brooklyn are watching with this careful scrutiny and eye of like, oh, that's Brooklyn. I know Brooklyn. What has the response been like from D.C. viewers? As someone who's from D.C., I feel like you all did a great job of kind of lovingly depicting it, but not hitting the viewer over the head with like, D.C. monuments, you are in D.C., right? Um, What has been the response from folks in D.C. watching? All positive. The complaints are all from people in Brooklyn. Now, either that's because we got it pretty good, but as I was saying, the people in Brooklyn recognize the corners, or New Yorkers are just more of a pain in the ass. That's another possibility. I think we know which way, which one is the answer. I think we know. I think we know. But Joel, don't you agree? Did you hear, ever hear a single complaint from somebody in D.C.? No. Of course, there's a part of me that feels like, but it wouldn't tell us. But then again, they don't seem to hold back their complaints, do they, Joe? Nobody's shy with complaints. No. <laughs> so not yet. But Bridget, this could open the floodgates. Thanks a lot. Yes. Send Joel and Joe your complaints. We'll, we'll include their, their personal emails. You can send them your complaints. I do love a good complaint, a good rejection. Love it all. Who does? Who does? 
Okay, so this is kind of a curveball question, but somebody on the CityCast team is dying to know, what does it feel like to have casted a show where two people on the cast didn't know each other and ended up falling in love? Like, y'all are matchmakers. (laughs) I mean, we always talk about that very, very fondly. You know, what a great thing to have happened on a show. You know, I think we see it sort of in in the context of, the show really was a good environment and people were happy working on it. And like some TV shows can have pretty bad environments. You'd probably be less likely to fall in love there because you're in a bad mood all the time. So I think we feel uh, less proud of that casting, which was just coincidence and more proud of having just a, a nice show where probably other people fell in love too. It's like, Joel, what do you think? Yeah. You and I fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> we're still going strong. Is there any truer love than the love between producers and co-showrunners, you know? <laughs> well, joking aside, I mean, it takes a lot of trust and a lot of communication. We were together all day, every day. Really, I mean, in all honesty, more than with a spouse. So. Well, it's a good thing you two like each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really is. <laughs> Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields, it has been so fun dissecting the DC-ness of the Americans with you two. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. This has been fun, actually. We're, you know, just past the 10-year anniversary of, of the launch of the show, so it's nice to get back on. Before you go, here's some quick news. Mayor Muriel Bowser is holding a public safety summit today to discuss the huge rise in crime impacting the district. Police say the rate has increased 26% since last year. On Tuesday, Bowser is off to Congress to testify about how the city is handling the problem. Tell us what you want to know about the hearing by sending us an email. We're at dc at citycast.fm. Meanwhile, the D.C. Attorney General signed a letter asking the Consumer Protection Safety Commission to do more to regulate gas stoves. Similarly, a group of local leaders gathered in Northeast this week to show their support for the shift to electric. They endorsed the proposed Healthy Homes Act, which would help lower-income residents move from gas appliances to electric ones at no cost. And finally, Silver Spring's famous Tasty Diner is auctioning off everything from the now-closed-down restaurant. So whether you're looking for some diner artwork, a wet floor sign, or an industrial-sized freezer, they've got it all. The auction closes on May 17th, so get your bids in to bring a bit of classic diner into your life. And today's DC Life Hack is... Don't miss the Cyber Infinity Room on the fourth floor of the Spy Museum for an Instagrammable moment. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend who's obsessed with the Americans? They can rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. We'll just record a quick goodbye. You know that we're not the Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg who did the Americans, right? I just want to. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Back to the drawing board. <laughs>